doing? How you feeling? How you living? Thanks for joining me today. It's your girl Akua, your host for Dem Coins Podcast, where we help millennials of faith gain clarity on what they truly value, manage and increase their income, and crush their financial goals. And today's special guest is Miss DeAndra McDonald. She's going to tell her amazing story of how she went from a lab tech to a teacher, to a full-time real estate entrepreneur and investor, and how you can do the same thing too. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in today. I know you could be listening to a million other podcasts, but you're here with me and I appreciate it. And if you like this content, feel free to leave a review on Apple, Spotify, you know, uh, Pandora, wherever you're listening to this podcast, it is much appreciated. And we're kind of right smack dab in the middle of summer. I hope you are enjoying the summer months after that very uh, brutal winter we had. And you'll hear a little bit of uh, us talking about that brutal winter in today's episode because we did record this um, sometime in February. (laughs) So about today's guest, Miss DeAndra McDonald is a real estate investor who retired from teaching after five years by building her rental portfolio. She now spends her time managing her units and educating others about buying rental properties. So without further ado, let's get into this interview. All right. Hello, DC family. We have a special guest today. We have real estate royalty in the building. Miss DeAndra McDonald. Yay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. How you feeling? How you doing? Absolutely. I'm good. It after the like two weeks of snow we've been getting, just back to back, having 60 degrees outside is really nice. So yes, it's a nice break. Absolutely. So, DeAndre, you have quite an interesting story. So, you started off teaching and then moved into real estate. So, when you were a teacher and you're thinking to yourself, I got to increase my income, why did you choose real estate as opposed to any other type of investment vehicle? You know what, Akua? Let me actually go back a little further. I I talk about I was a teacher investor because that's when I started to really ramp up, I guess, the number of properties I had, but I actually was a lab technician when I bought my first property. So I wasn't a teacher at all. I worked in a lab making $28,000 a year. So way less than a teacher. See, Akua, I can tell they can't see us. They can't see our faces, but I can tell that you make good money because the fact that I said 28,000 a year and you're disgust just now was like, <laughs> oh, yeah. was like shook. I was shook though. I, I, you made, <laughs> I can't even them. And that's what educated black folk would do to you. You'd be like, y'all people out here making more than 40. Really? That's 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 some crazy. When I was 28, 23, I was like, salary, sign me up. Right. (laughs) But no, I actually um and we're gonna go even further back. We're gonna dig right into it. Is I read Rich Dad Poor Dad, right? The holy grail of like life is different for rich people. Um, when I was like 22, maybe my last year in college. And I had played the game cash flow as a kid, but when you go to college, it's kind of this feeling of, I don't need to invest. 
right? Because I'm here to get a job. And instead of investing, the way I'm going to beat the investing market or beat investing is just by getting a high paying job. I think that's kind of like the fight or the trade-off we do is I'm just going to outwork compound interest, which I know y'all sounds insane, but that's kind of the mentality we go to when we go to school. So when I left school, I had a degree in chemistry because that's what I wanted to major in, but I had debt. I graduated with somewhere about maybe $28,000 in debt, which is not bad considering, which is unfortunate that we have to say things like that, right? But it's not like the worst, I guess. It's right, yeah. <laughs> um, but I couldn't get a job. I couldn't afford to move back home. My pay, my mom also had like a two bedroom apartment and she was still raising my brother. So it didn't feel appropriate to go back home. So I was kind of stuck in this, I'm working lots of jobs life. And I knew, I remember thinking like real estate was something. I remember like reading about that and hearing about that. So I went to get qualified. I was like, well, I'm paying uh, $800 or $850 a month in rent. Let me see if I can get a house. And when I went to get qualified, she laughed. And I, it was a slight chuckle, right? It was, <laughs> but it was enough to say like, wow. She's like, you're not qualified. Like we, we're not going to do this for you. But after the chuckle, she gave me some steps. She essentially said like, you need consistent income. These like this ragtag part-time job gig economy life thing you got going. Yeah, it's keeping food on your table, I guess, but it's not going to qualify you because you're a risk. Because at any point these jobs lose. And she was right. It felt like every three or four months I was losing a job, not because of me, but it's like the bar was slowing down or the vet didn't have as many clients or the pool got shut down for a week for cleaning. And my income was tumultuous. Like it was just, who you, it wasn't reliable. So I kept applying for jobs, but I knew I didn't want to go back to school because I wasn't ready to take on more debt. So I kept applying for jobs and actually got a few interviews and finally got hired as a lab tech. So I was making 28 grand. Like that was what my salary was. And I was so pumped. Um, so I started working as a lab tech and then went back and she still was like, not quite. You don't have enough money and your credit's not that great. But every time I went back, luckily enough, I had the she was kind and kind enough. And I also had the mindset to be like, okay, I got to be better. So part of that be better was get the job, right? Next be better was I needed to save up and I needed to pay down on my credit card debt. Um, that's why I kept, so I was working as a lab tech Monday through Friday. I kept my lifeguarding job. I still worked on Saturdays and Sunday was like my off day. And if I needed to pick up an extra, I would, but that was my off. But that's how I bought my first property. I was making $28,000 a year before we got on. I was working on a infographic, essentially saying lies you got to stop telling yourself. And one of them is I don't make enough money. So because 28 grand got me my first place. And that was with uh, maybe I think at that point, like a $12,000 car note and with $28,000 in student loan debt. Now, my limit wasn't very high. Right. I got qualified for $85,000 and technically there was nothing on the market at that point. And there's so much I know now that I wish I knew then. Um, but it was like, I will eventually something will. So we'll wait. I'll wait until it does because I'm qualified for 85. That will put my mortgage at 530, which was cheaper than what I was paying for rent. 
But a property came up, it was two bedroom, two bedroom townhouse. We put an offer in, they accepted it. We got some concessions, but that's how I bought my first property. But remember when I told you, I had to keep thinking of like, how can I be better? I knew I couldn't qualify for a second property with $28,000. And I was getting sick of working at the lab. So it became like, I remember teaching. I remember TAing in undergrad. I love that. Let me try that process. And that's what got me into teaching was like, well, I want to buy my real estate. So this is not going to cut it. Oh, wow. You bought your first property on a 28K salary. That's right. And so I could only buy it right as a primary residence. And even at that point, I didn't know about down payment assistance programs. I didn't know there were people paying to help me. I didn't know if I just would have moved out into the county instead of the city, I could have qualified for a VHDA loan and paid 0% without, like those things I didn't know. I, I, I just moved forward what I knew and tried my best. And this is what it kind of came to, which is amazing. I mean, the property still does very well and it's still my portfolio, but yeah, it was just the small steps, which took years. Like, please also understand that. I graduated in 2013. I didn't buy that property until 2015. So it took and about, I think I graduated May. I bought the property in May. So it took about two full years in order for me to get myself together. But it was on a $28,000 salary. It wasn't, I was making 100, 150 with money to spare. Ooh, that doesn't inspire somebody. I don't know what will. <laughs> Ah, the grief. I didn't know that. Oh, wow. So, huh. So you, so when you bought your first single home property, mm-hmm. what, what gave you, where did you find out about house hacking? Like, where did that idea kind of come into mind to rent out one of the um, rooms? Yeah, it was because I didn't know that term at that point. And I, um, you know, things get blurry <laughs> when you try to think back where we're like, wait, because it, it wasn't, it didn't seem important then to hold on to like, I'm on a journey and people are going to ask me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think part of it was understanding I was paying rent. So, okay. Okay. I, okay. I know part of it. Part of it was definitely my very first property was someone's basement. They converted into an apartment. And so every month I had to go upstairs and put the check in my landlord's mailbox. And he got to use the backyard and use the driveway and use the whatever. And I had my little door downstairs, like a little hobbit. And I had to go downstairs to my basement. And it was very nice. Don't get me wrong, but I went upstairs to pay him. And I think I was paying like eight or $900. And when I looked up how much that property cost or how much he bought it for, it was like, I'm paying his mortgage. And that's cool for him, but I'm like, I can do this too. And I also tell like a little side note, I was with, I lived with my ex-boyfriend at that time and we have, we broke up and he left um, because he wasn't paying like his portion of the rent. But I was like, I can't just dip because my credit's going to be effed up. I've signed this lease. And so what happened is I got a roommate, but I never told my roommate how much the property costs. So I think the rent overall was like nine, but I charged him six and he was cool. I gave him a bigger room. He had all the extra. I was like, I just need to keep some money in my pocket. But that helped me kind of regroup because I was still in the multi-job phase. That was not in the, I have a full-time job yet phase. But I thought, well, he's paying. And who says we have to split rent equally? Like, I don't know who came up with that. I'm seeing my friends live with roommates and they're not splitting rent equally. Sometimes the bigger room or the extra bathroom or the parking spot, um, unless everything is identical and there's complexes like that, they kind of varied it by 10 or $15. So I could do that too. 
And so my only qualification, I had two requirements when I bought my first place. It was that it was $85,000 or less because that was my max budget and that it had at least two bedrooms. Other than that, didn't care. I was like, condo, you, they're like, are there neighborhoods? I was like, I'm from Harlem. I promise there are no neighborhoods you can't not put me in. Just, just, I will be home by dark. I will leave when it's light. Like I had a pit bull. We, we good. Yes. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> just give me my house and we will be fine. But what helped with this property was even if I didn't have a roommate, it was still cheaper than where I was living in my apartment. Right. So my rent was 750. This mortgage was going to be 530. If anything, I'm saving $200 a month. At least we can like do that. So within a year, essentially, I would get my like down payment money back and I could live that totally fine. But having the roommate made it even better. Oh, wow. Okay. So then, okay. That makes sense. Cause you start off with roommates and then, and by the way, if you do want to see, if you are renting and you want to see pub, it's all public record, you can go and see how much your property is, how much, you know, your land, they kind of estimate how much your landlord is paying and yeah. yep. See how much you are contributing to that. Absolutely. Wow. So you said rich dad, poor dad kind of like sparked, you know, the, put the spark in you. Were there any other kind of resources or like, were you listening to podcasts or anything at that time? No, I was too young. I don't think I knew what podcasts were. And also girl, part of his sacrifice meant I didn't have internet. So I, I'll see again with the face, again with the face. <laughs> oh my goodness. But wow. Like I live by myself. I work. Um, I'm working to save for this property every dime because I made a promise to myself that second year, that second time I tried to resign, that I would not sign another lease. I said I would not. I will go back home and at least keep my money in my family before I pay another, before I sign another lease. So just be like, hey, mom, can we set some ground rules, please? and then move forward. But why not keep it in the family if that's available to you? Because it's not available for everybody. But keep the money in house. And so I said, if like I won't sign again. And that meant having to make some adjustments. And one of those was internet and cable because I didn't, I wasn't up on the streaming quite yet. Um, I was still in my mom's phone plan. So I didn't have like unlimited. And it was just like, that's an extra 115 a month that could stay in your pocket. So when I got home, I did a lot of reading that year. There was a lot of, a lot of dog walks, <laughs> a lot of reading, lots of free fun, lots of volunteering. Cause sometimes they had pizza and that was one meal you didn't have to cook for, but I was obsessed. And that came across in no podcasts. If that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, Cause cause I didn't know this part of your story. So I'm like in awe of like, <laughs> <laughs> this is like sacrifices on like level 10,000. I don't know many people that are like, you know what, if I got to give up my internet, if I got to like be strategic and volunteer so that I, you know, save up some money, you know, to get free food. Like, like, that's amazing. I went at a moment yesterday, just praising God because mm-hmm. I went, my husband was supposed to go food shopping. He got caught up with school. So I was like, I'll go do it. You walk the dogs, I'll go food shopping. And I like getting to where our cupboards are bare because I wanna make sure that we're eating what we have. I hate throwing away food um, cause it feels just wasteful and disrespectful. So cupboards bare. Like I had a, a, a hamburger bun for a snack, N- nothing on it. Cause we, you know, all the other pieces went away. Like you used to have sandwich meat, but that's gone now. And you used to have like, no more. <laughs> and I was shopping and just like, wow. 
if I want it, I can just put it in the basket. Like, there's no question about like, can I, when there was a point, and I'm not saying when I was even saying for the house, like I hadn't gotten to that point yet mentally, but it was just like, you go shopping on Tuesdays because that's when the manager specials come out. You definitely are not eating fresh vegetables. You're definitely not eating fresh fruit. It's canned or it's frozen. Frozen if you're like, <laughs> a little splurred, uh, doing that thing where the meat is 670, but you like, but that one's 652. So we're going to save today. But stuff like that, really making choices about eating. And I know, like never so far that I wasn't eating, but definitely not eating well or eating as much as I should have. And then that wound up becoming part of the sacrifice and saying like, if you have to eat spaghetti every day, you're gonna eat spaghetti. We're gonna put vegetables in it. So it's not just meat, protein and carbs. And you're just not this like bulky, slow person. Right, right. <laughs> but, um, you got to make some choices here. And is it like, are you going to be here again in six months? Are we going to be having the same conversation? Or are you going to take this? And again, y'all, I want to put out that I'm not saying you have to give up all these things. I'm saying, remember, I was making 28 grand a year. I had basic needs that I couldn't avoid. So at the end of the day, when you only have six or $700 to kind of make it work, you get creative. And was I unhappy then? No, but am I happy now? For sure. Do I see now, we always like, God, well, what, was, what, was, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> this is not clear. You are not clear how long we're gonna be walking through these deserts. We're not there yet, Jesus Christ. Um, but here now and being like, oh. When you were, you know, in the process of, you know, acquiring your first couple of properties. Um, it may seem a little controversial to some people, but this, you know, paying off student loan debts or paying off all your debts, right? So like, why did you specifically make the choice to, instead of putting that money, you know, towards student loans, to instead invest that money? For me, it was because I, the, the amount was just too big. No, don't get me wrong. Um, I have recently said that I'm not buying any more property. Um, not buying any more like buying holds. I'm flipping because I'm at the point where I am done with debt and I want it to be paid off. I still have my student loans. I was hoping Biden was going to come through, but we see now <laughs> that doesn't quite. <laughs> so Biden, man, <laughs> wipe these out real quick. Yo, I thought you was going to pay off these bills, but okay, that's cool. <laughs> um, but I didn't have it and it wasn't going to come. So I have some clients who have said to me, like, I have $60,000 in the bank and I have $8,000 left in my car. Part of me is just like, you'll pay it off. Be done. You got it. And it's not going to hurt you buying your next property. Your house hacking. You only need 20. You got 50. Pay this off. It's going to even help your debt to income ratio when we go to buy. But for me, it was purely because I didn't have it. It took me two years to save $4,000 and pay down debt. Like the idea of trying to save 12 to pay off my car was like ridiculous. And then I got to the point where, especially when I started teaching and I had more income, it didn't hurt to pay those bills. For some people, I understand paying it off just because you can't, you literally cannot balance a mortgage 
and your car payment or mortgage and student loans right now. I can't tell you how many people I talk to who this year has been really powerful because there's been so many people I've talked to who've had six figure student loan debt. And this is the first time they have felt what it is like to live on their salary without that debt because of the CARES Act. Back to your original question, because I got off on a tangent there. I didn't pay off debt because I didn't have it. And it would have taken me another, it took me two years to say four, it would have taken me another three to get back 550. Like it didn't feel, or to get back 250, excuse me. Um, I did that math wrong. It would have taken me four, three, 12. So it would have taken me six years to save that. And I'd have been now. <laughs> Still yeah. like yo even that math right there right I bought my first place at 23 it would have taken another six years I'm 29 right now so it'd have been like oh, now to get started <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> could you imagine compared to what actually happened is that 28 I was able to leave my job I was able to say I'm done versus if I would have really mm, waited. So good. That is so true because if you would have waited, then you would have had to start at zero and then spend more years to then save. And so you might not have gotten your first investment property until maybe 2023, maybe, you know? So now that, you know, you're on the other side of that and, you know, you manage to replace, you know, mm -hmm. your income from teaching so that you don't have to teach anymore. Your rental properties and appreciation, all that stuff is now funding your lifestyle. So what are some of the systems you have in place since you don't use a property manager? Woo, <laughs> um, let me tell y'all it, it has changed, right? Cause I went, I was house hacking a house hack for four years. Um, and I really started expanding in 2019. So we're like less than two years away from me buying my first multifamily first like large scale commercial property um and it, it's different it is very different when you live when you rent to people who buy single family homes or who want to live in a single family home than when you rent to like people in a complex um what are some of the systems okay um i do part of it is rent collection right that's what we all like I, a lot of my clients are older, so they don't know a lot of internet or they're not so great with their smartphones. I also have a significant amount of my clientele who gets aid from the government. So they don't have bank accounts. Um, they have like the card, the little debit card they get. So things like Cozy or other online platforms, I could charge them with the debit card, but we have to pay extra fees. So what happens instead is that I just send them a notice in the mail and they return it, right? But that's once a month, right? Midway, probably about the 15th or 16th, I send an envelope with the invoice and the return statement, everything in there for them. That's a system. And so um, rent's due on the first for everybody. On the second, it's late. You have a five-day grace. But by the seventh, if this was regular times, I'd be evicting. Um, and that just helps us all know that I'm serious, you should be serious, and I take offenses seriously. So not paying rent is gonna get the same energy as when you come to me and you say, uh, somebody's dog came out. It's like, awesome, they're gonna get a notice, they got five days to be out. Like, we're building a culture that we respect each other and, but we also have to hold up our end of the agreement, right? You can't 
not pay and expect those same things. Now, COVID is different, right? This has been a different time. Um, and I've been grateful enough or lucky, blessed maybe is the right word enough. I lost one tenant in December, but she had a security deposit and she just kind of like walked out. But I think the culture we built is why she walked out and completely cleaned her apartment. So she left, she said, take my security deposit for that last month. Cause she was like, can I get more time? And then just kind of dip. But I could rent immediately because the house is in such good shape. But I think that's based on that culture. Um, I, uh, now that I have more properties down there, I have days that I assign to maintenance. So those are the days I go down and I do basic maintenance. I show my face. Uh, if there's uh, non-emergency stuff, I do that work. If there are emergencies, I have contractors and professionals that I have sought out that will go somewhere without me and that can charge me on over the phone. That way, if there's an emergency Sunday and I'm in New York visiting my family, we're not stuck. I have already found a plumber. I have already found an electrician who will go there, bill me over the phone, go about our business. Uh, my, I used to have um, a Google voice phone number that people would call to seem just a little more legit. Just like I bought uh, my email is not like at Gmail because I'm trying to feel like I'm a business. <laughs> um, I used to have a Google voice phone number, but I went ahead and finally got a second line just because now I know when this rings it's business, but when, because with Google Voice, you like, don't quite know if it's business or not. Uh, <laughs> but they know to send me a text, it's gonna be more likely for me to respond than a call just because I'm doing other things. And so we have, that's how we communicate if there's issues, if rent is due. And it's also great because I can use those texts in court if we need to, it's very easy to print out. Uh, I think that's it for kind of like overall processes. Yeah, no, that's good. Setting those parameters early. I think that's really efficient, like setting up, you know, culture and standards so that there's no confusion about, you know, what these rules are. And so do you kind of have like, I've heard some people do like orientations. Do you have like orientations with each person or? Oh, I don't think it's that intense. I think, um, no, but I mean, it could be. Um, we have a lease. When I sit down and sign a lease with somebody, we definitely go through it page by page. I think there's also... When people call and ask about the community, letting them know, right? Like this is an older community, noise will not be tolerated, pets will not be tolerated. Like it, you, we, you said it off air before we started recording, but that teaching influenced a lot of what I do. This is also coming from teaching. It's like, we can't teach until our culture in this classroom is set. That you can't just like walk out whenever you want and you can't just shout out. And that homework is an expectation, it's not a suggestion, but those kind of things take time to build. But once they're locked in, now we can play. Now we can really have a great time with learning because I know you're safe, I'm safe, your parents can trust this space. That same thing happens with the building. With single families, they, they don't bother each other, right? Or they're separate, they might be a completely separate house. So there's no need to have that same culture same intensity, I think, but when you have buildings where you have 10 or 15 or 20 or 30 people living super close to each other, these things are expected to keep everyone happy, to keep everyone safe, to keep everyone enjoying their time. Yes, you can have people over, but by six, come on, like, remember, we, this is a community that we all have to buy into. 
But when we do stuff like that, um, I there's a the complex I own in has three buildings or four, I guess. I own the first two, the other two are owned by other people. And there is a clear difference between my buildings and other people's buildings. Now my people pay more, but when they've had the opportunity to move, they're like, no, we're good. Yeah. Because we see how it's like there. Like, no, thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> I'll keep paying an extra 50 because she has cameras and she checks things. She offers laundry and she mows the grass and she fills in the hole. Anyway. Yeah, no, that is good. Cause yeah, it's, you know, it's a two way street. Like I'll keep my part of the bargain. If you keep your part of the bargain, like I'll, I'll make sure things are set up. I'll make sure that contractors and everything else is set up. And then, you know, you do your part, you pay your rent. You don't cause no mischief in the neighborhood. Like it's all no, good. <laughs> that is so, yeah, that is really, really good. And so now that um, you've also implemented teaching into like teaching other people about real estate, what do you find is like the biggest hindrance when people come to you and say, oh, you know, I want to do what you did. And then they get coaching or they get in, enrolled in one of your programs. What do you find is like the biggest block for most people? Okay. I think there's two. The first is the mindset behind money and what's a lot and yeah for instance I um when I first started investing I just wanted to find a property that will cover its bills that's what I was just hoping I wasn't trying to profit because I was also living in the house so I was like if I can live for free this will be a dream now I look for buildings where I'm making at least fifteen hundred or two thousand dollars a month profit. So it's changed. But sometimes I get people to come to me and say, I want to make an extra $300 a month. And my response is dope. Often, if you just budget, you'll probably find it in your regular salary. And you don't have to deal with people. <laughs> Remember, like, if you're only trying to make $200, I hear you and I'm not against it. Like, let's go buy a house but also you could find this in your regular salary. And if you are so tight, you can't find 200, then we shouldn't buy a property right now anyway, because any mishap that's gonna happen is gonna throw you too far from loop. I lived on the edge and I knew I did. Like I, I told the story in other podcasts, but when I bought, that was the first time I ever had to pay for water. So I had always lived in apartments, had no idea that like you had to get water turned on, that it wasn't just like included with homeownership. So I'm in the middle of the shower and the water goes off and I'm like, what? And I call and they like, you need, it's a $200 deposit. And I'm like, so don't have that. So it was me at playing the fitness for the weekend till I got paid because I didn't know, but that's what I mean. I'm like, I was living on the, if anything breaks, then I'm screwed and I don't, teach that to people that's like I was cool with it for my life but I don't teach that to you so if you don't have an extra hundred dollars to spare we need to do some work to maybe at least get your um savings up or something so that if something goes wrong you're not an issue but people are really resistant to budgeting and kind of looking into themselves and I think part of that is culturally um if y'all listening we're both black women and I think what our parents' generation did, let me go back. I think what our grandparents taught our parents was that consistency was key, right? Get a job that'll respect you and give you a pension after whatever many years, which was needed. 
And I think what our parents did for us is they said, I right, take that, but then go big. So go make six figures, go make half a million, quarter million dollars, half a million dollars a year, and then you'll be straight. The issue is we never taught people how, to, like you make 600, you, you make $100,000, but you don't know how to spend $100,000. You don't know how to keep it. You don't know how to invest it. And I think that's what's shifting now. But there's a lot of people who make a lot of money and spend it. Because if you truly value those things, great. Not upset with you. Do what you do. I made the promise. Y'all can't see. I have locks. When I first got locks, I said I would never wash my own hair again. That was my promise to myself. <laughs> that I, I was like, I'm not, I can't do it with the forearms. I'm not getting back my head. I'm done. But that's a commitment I made. And that's $100 plus a month. Cool. That I value. But I didn't value necessarily spending $150 on McDonald's. So that was a way I could find, because what I wanted to value was spending more time at home or I'm not a mom yet. I wanted that opportunity to be a stay-at-home mom and not lower my income, my, my um, lifestyle, which meant that don't need McDonald's right now <laughs> so that you can save the money to whatever. But a lot of people are very resistant to budgeting because I think it opens your eyes to a lot of you in this, that it's not necessarily only society or only the world that you have a part that you could play here too. And it's a lot easier to look outward. That's why it's like, I wanna increase my income outside instead of saying, how can I better not sacrifice? So I'm not saying we need to give stuff up, but how can I better strategize? Maybe that's the right word in order to keep this money in my pocket. The second, is the work it takes even to find a property. I am not, um, there are some like one-stop shops out there, right? I invest, um, I flip properties. Well, I pay for other people to flip properties, um, but I uh, flip with this particular company because I don't have to do anything. And so I pay for it. I pay extra for this ability but they go search for it. They bring their contractors. They do all, like I put up the money, I get the financing, but I don't ever want to see it. I don't, don't call me about paint. Like I, I don't care. Like I can't, people always get to real say, I love HGTV. I'm like, I like seeing it too, but I don't want to do it. Like I don't care. Choose the light. Does it match the chrome match? Do you, um, but you pay for stuff like that. So if you don't want to pay for that, there's a lot of work that goes into finding the property and getting your financing ready. And sometimes people aren't up for that. They're not up to say, hey, you want to invest, uh, sorry, you want to invest in Birmingham, Alabama. Awesome. I need you to analyze 40 properties in this area because you don't know what the market is. And you could trust a real estate agent, but once you sign, that agent's not responsible anymore. They told you it was going to make a thousand, but it can only make 750. Okay. That's on you. And I know my market now, so I'm fine, but you have to learn the markets you want to invest in. You might put an offer on eight or 10 properties before you get something. We're flipping right now. It was, this is number six of offer. And we were offering weekly and just, but it's all you analyze two and that's it. I didn't find anything, so it's not good. And some people don't like that. And I get it. You work a full-time job. 
you maybe have kids or parents you're taking care of. You don't want to necessarily go back to school, but that's what it's required for you to know what's happening. Those are the two things I think really hold people back when they try to get into programs and coaching of what they can do or can't. Oh my gosh. No, that was so, 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 so good because it's so true. And I love what you said about budgeting almost kind of being like this mirror and it, you know, it's reflective and it forces you to look at yourself. And, and people really think it's like, I'm trying to get you to sacrifice. And part of it is I'm trying to get you to strategize. We're going to keep using that word. But the other thing is budgeting is how we make money in this business. And if you don't have that strategy, that skill from beforehand, how much is your mortgage versus your rent? When they ask you those numbers, the return on income, the net, the, 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 the operating expenses, like you have to be able to track these things and keep advantage. You have to be able to recognize or your property manager, but again, that's you paying extra so you don't have to think about it. But you have to be able to recognize my dad, he owns property. So I own in like rural spaces. He owns in the city. So I get my water bill every two months, a water bill shows up. He can check his water on a daily because it's all automatic, smart, blah, 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 blah. And I tell you, this man gets up every morning. He's like, okay, what's the water looking like today? But that's how he can check if there's a leak. He knows when there's a running toilet because all of a sudden, unexpectedly, the water will spike up and he'll go first. Now imagine someone like me, I'd have to wait two months and this toilet's been running for two months, how much I've spent. But because my dad has been budgeting his money and tracking it so intensely, he can tell when there's an issue. Same here. Right. When I'm budgeting and I start to see like, okay, it looks like every three months a water heater is breaking. The water heaters probably need to be replaced. So instead of being caught off guard, let me start buying water heaters on sale and just keeping two or three on deck instead of having like rush and buy whatever's available when I need it tomorrow because the tenant needs cold water or hot water. But that all comes from budgeting and recognizing trends, the same budgeting and trend recognition you would have for monitoring your own stuff. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, man, that was just, oh my goodness, incredible gems on top of gems on top of gems. So, Deandra, you've gone through all of this. You've made it through the wire. And now you're on the other side. Is there anything that you would change about your journey? So let me give a little caveat. I definitely... I don't like changing one thing in my past and thinking like the rest of the good stuff is still be here, right? Because I, 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 I talked to my husband about this too, of if I would have gotten a teaching job right out of college, I definitely would have invested in real estate. I would not have. Because money would have never been an issue. Like I got pushed into real estate because I was struggling. And that would make me say like, there's gotta be something else. Like I can't do this. This can't be what my mom has told me to do for 40 years. This is, this is ridiculous. But if I would have had a full-time salary job right out of school, summers off, winter breaks, I would have invested in real estate. I'd have been in some like luxury apartment, spending all my money, thinking I was like living my best life. So you know what I mean about like, if we change one thing, these other things might not be here anymore. Um, but, with that caveat, I think something that really would have changed my life is if I would have left where I was living. I left for college 
But if I had the ability to really, I mean, like, we all talk about investing in Dayton, Ohio, and in Cleveland, and in Detroit. And that is good as an out-of-state investor. Could you imagine if you could, like, buy the quad and live in it that is $40,000, <laughs> right? If you could buy the duplex that we're seeing for 70 grand and one side is paying $1,500 rent or some ridiculous thing with me paying three and a half percent down. Because again, we're amazed I got something on $28,000. That 85 would stretch a lot further in Dayton or Cleveland or Detroit or St. Louis. So that's what I would have convinced myself to maybe reconsider. Wow, that was such a beautiful answer. Oh my gosh, thank you so much, Andrea. This has been fantastic. Just, my heart is so full. Like, I just, thank you. And so this portion, we're just going to get into the wrap-up questions a bit. And so the okay. first one is, what is your favorite food or drink? Oh, um, I am a big seafood person. So any sort of seafood, I'm here for it. All right, that's what's up. And so the second question is, what is your favorite mantra or piece of advice that you're living by right now? Um, <laughs> I have taken to playing that, I don't know what the artist is, but the like, I am healthy, I am wealthy. I am rich. I am that. I'm going to go get that cash. And I'm going to take your sh <laughs> I am protected, well respected. I'm a queen. I'm a dream. I do what I want to do. And I'm who I want to be. Because I am me. That is by artist. Let me say her name correctly. That is by Young Baby Tate if you are interested in some trap music. Now I gave you the clean version, so please be aware. It's not clean. But that's my morning, just like, yes, girl, you feel it. I'm here for it. Yes, <laughs> shout out to Baby Tate for <laughs> And the very last question is, what do you want to be remembered for? Ooh, that's deep. Um, I think I want to be remembered for, with all my students, be it if it was when I was in high school, if I was in one-on-one -on -one coaching, that I cared enough about you to push you to your best. I want them, this is really big for me when I was in the classroom, but I need you to remember that I loved you, but with love comes expectations and it comes responsibilities because you are capable. And the same with my clients of like, yo, I'm here for it, but I can't let you give like half effort. I can't let you like BS your way through this. Cause if not, we should stop because like, I don't need the money, um, but I want you to succeed. So on an individual, I don't like need to be known globally, internationally, um, but yeah, that's what I would like to be known for with my students. Oh, that is lovely. Oh, thank you so much. Oh my gosh, I just, 
I just know like artists is going to be so blessed by this episode. Thank you. Thank you. Thank oh, I'm you. so glad. I'm really am. Yes. So where can the people find you? Yes. I'm on all things social at DeAndra McDonald. Uh, my website is DeAndraMcDonald.com. So you can find me on Instagram. Um, I try a TikTok, y'all. It's so much. I just, it's so, when I say all things social, I really just mean Instagram and Facebook. Same, same. <laughs> Twitter, but you can follow. I don't post nothing up there. Um, but yeah, and you can email me if you have any questions at DeAndra at DeAndraMcDonald.com. That's about it. Well, once again, thank you so much. This has been such a good, good, informative episode with so many applicable, actionable nuggets. Thank you. Man, was that episode good or was that good? Oh my gosh, shout out to Deandra. She is the epitome of what I'm trying to bring to this platform is that literally if she can do it on a 28K salary, literally any one of us can do it. And granted, you may not necessarily want to be investing in, you know, rental properties. That's cool. But whatever your financial goals are, you can reach them. And one of the important ways to do that is through budgeting. No matter your strategy, you're going to have to do budgeting. And I love what you said about budgeting, that it is essentially like a mirror and it holds you accountable for the things that you can control in your life, right? You can control how much you spend. No one is holding a gun up to your head saying you have to spend money here, right? Taking accountability over your finances. And the other major nugget, and there were many in regards to her journey when I asked her if she would change anything. And she said that, I don't believe that if I change one thing in my journey, that all the good things would still come along with it, right? And you know, it's very cliche. We always talk about, oh, it's in the journey. No, it's in the climb. Like, you know, all that sort of thing. <laughs> but it's so true. Like, we don't necessarily know that we would have all of the good things if we didn't go through some of the hard things. So um, I hope this episode, you know, blessed you. I know it blessed me. If it didn't bless nobody, bless me. But... <laughs> Feel free to reach out to DeAndrea. She is so friendly and she's so um, open and responsive to everyone. Um, if you are looking to get into real estate, make it happen, Captain. Till next time. And that pretty much wraps up today's episode. Thank you for joining me. I hope you got some new insights or maybe you just got some confirmation on a couple of things. Let your girl know. Feel free to reach out to me via email, hello at demcoinsonline.com. Also, feel free to check us out on Instagram, dem.coins. If you have any good topics, cool new strategies, let me know. And while you're at it, feel free to write an awesome five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends about me, okay? <laughs> I am so excited for all of us on this journey. And until next time, stay encouraged.